Hello and welcome. We're the Lost Boys. I'm Tandy and this is Harlan. Say hi, Harlan. Hi, Harlan. And today we are continuing our set review of Chapter 2, Rise of the Floodborn from Disney's Lorcana. And in today's video, we'll be talking about uh, the color emerald. Uh, emerald is traditionally, at least in Chapter 1, constructed very much about questing for high amounts of lore and having characters that have punishes when you try to challenge them or protection like Ward. Uh, and I think that we're going to have a lot more of that today. Yeah, it seems like we're getting a little more depth. I'm hoping that we can find enough cards that we can really start having some competitive Emerald decks where, you know, with Chapter 1, they existed, but they weren't, you know, top contenders, and I'd like that to change. Yeah, uh, so what we're going to do, we're going to be starting with the most expensive cards in the set in terms of ink value. Uh, that way we can discuss the shifts before we discuss the smaller iterations of the things we're going to be shifting on. I felt like in their previous videos we were talking about the little ones for a little too long, but and then when we got to the big ones, we're like, ah, we already talked about that. So uh, without further ado, we'll begin with Cheshire Cat from the Shadows. Uh, eight cost inkable, five, six with evasive and shift five, it quests for two. And with the ability Wicked Smile, you can exert it to banish chosen damaged character. What do you think, Harlan? Yeah, so this is really interesting because we've already had a, you know, popular Cheshire Cat at three uh, cost that, you know, always kind of needed something to push it over the edge. I think this is close, but I think this missed the mark a little bit. Uh, I think this needed to be maybe a little smaller in a shift four so you could curve right into it. Uh, just because, you know, the Cheshire Cat, if you have to take a turn off after playing it and not quest with it to be able to shift, you know, that's too much of a tempo loss usually. And, you know, this isn't quite enough payoff. And then it's it costs eight normally. So it's just too big of a downside for me when yeah. I'm not shifting it. No, I completely agree. Uh, it seems like a, a very awesome uh, design. You know, I love the ability to banish characters that have a little bit of damage on them. Maybe it pairs well with uh, things out of steel that deal one damage to a bunch of things. And perhaps we see some Cheshire Cats in the future that are much more geared towards being something like Emerald Steel, and this could fit nicely as a big shift target at the end of the day. Uh, but yeah, eight cost, evasive, a quest for two, large body, five, six. So quite, quite strong as far as like a card is concerned, but maybe just not a home for it just yet. And we'll have to see how things uh, play out. Uh, next up, uh, seven cost Dr. Facilier, the fortune teller. This is a seven cost inkable four, four, uh, with evasive, another big evasive character and a quest for three and, uh, the ability you're in my world. Whenever this character quests, chosen opposing character can't quest during their next turn. Tell me about it. Yeah. So this card is really strong. I think it, it may get sat on a bit by mother Gothel from chapter one, uh, but, you know, we we might run into some some situations where we may have like an Emerald Sapphire ramp deck where you actually just want more of those type of effects. Mm -hmm. And then in that case, this has a lot of room to shine because it it is larger. It quests for three and has evasive. So it's a lot harder to deal with out of a lot of those decks. And yeah, I, I think this card is probably going to be on the back burner for a long time, but it's definitely a good one to keep in mind as, you know, a way to solve some problems. Yeah, one thing I, I want to discuss in terms of uh, this type of an effect, it's like a, it's preventing your opponent from progressing towards our end game. And we've we've seen a couple cards that do this, but we also see cards that say your opponents can't challenge and they can only quest, which is a direct opposite. But the way that it affects the game is more so you just get to control how your opponent uses their characters. And uh, I just like that the fact that uh, it's able to do that while being evasive and it quests for quite a bit, and it has four willpower, so it does dodge things like smash and uh, some of the new uh, steel effects that destroy uh, things that have uh, three willpower. So very cool card, Dr. Facilier, Fortune Teller. Uh, next up, probably one of the best five cards in the set, maybe the best card in the set. Uh, we're going to be discussing Beast Relentless. Uh, Beast Relentless is a six-cost inkable 4-5 that quests for two and has the ability Second Wind. Whenever an opposing character is damaged, you may ready this character. Uh, so long story short, you play uh, uh, Grab Your Sword. It gets to ready. It can even sing Grab Your Sword and then ready itself immediately after. Uh, if you send a bunch of your goons in to challenge your opponent's stuff, every time that they attack, you get to ready the beast and quest again. There's no limit on how many times you can quest with this card, which makes it very scary in terms of lore generation. Yeah, absolutely. This card so far has not been 
as gangbuster as I thought it would. You know, the you having to ready with it after playing it the turn previous is kind of a big challenge in especially now with two chapters out where all the decks are, you know, a little more uh you could say like turboed, you know, every deck is a lot more powerful. Yeah. Um I think this card would be absolutely busted if it had shift, but you know, I think it it might be a little more just adequately balanced, but you know, I'm still deep in the lab on making this card as as good as it can be. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's also some things you can pair with it that can give it rush so that it can perhaps uh, tack down multiple characters on the same turn that you play it. Something like White Rabbit's Pocket Watch to give it a little more utility outside of uh, the questing for a, a bunch of times in a row. Um, overall, though, yeah, I mean, it's a six drop that doesn't do anything immediately when it enters place. So uh, it has a high barrier to, to pass. Uh, next up, we're going to be talking about Little John, Loyal Friend. Uh, this is a six cost, six, six, inkable, very large. And it quests for two pretty generic stats, but very, very large considering the cost. Yeah, definitely like a fine role player in some decks that just need stats at a, a high point on the curve, but not really going to see a ton of play. All right. Uh, next up, uh, we're going to look at Varana Fang Chief. Uh, this five cost inkable five five quest for two. Another kind of vanilla thing that can kind of uh, fill out your curve, maybe in limited. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely more of a limited card. You know, we've always joked with even the best of the five drops in Emerald that, you know, there's just a billion five drops in Emerald. And yeah. this is maybe one of the worst ones. So. <laughs> Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, we're going to continue looking at some of these, I guess, weaker five drops. These are mostly mm -hmm. for limited play. Uh, this is Tiana, True Princess, five cost inkable, five, three. Another character, the quest for three, though. Yeah, and this one's also a princess, so it combos with the, the five cost Amber uh, Moana. Uh, that is pretty interesting. Um, but, you know, outside of some niche synergies like that, I think it's going to be on the back burner also. Yeah, uh, you know, it's just uh, decently statted, no abilities, classic. Yep. But uh, I think that the the thing you pointed out, the princess thing, you know, the, the subtypes of, of these characters, Floodborne, Storyborne, Princess, Villain, these are not things we've explored too much with yet. There's references to them on some cards, but it is uh, not widespread yet. Uh, but So it's just going to be like these cards will get better over time because there will be synergies put into play yeah i, th I think yeah. that's going to be something to really really keep your eye on as we get into like chapters six through <laughs> ten or yeah. so you know once we start getting a lot of those effects or maybe we do we have a chapter that's themed around a specific you know princesses versus queens or villains versus heroes where you know we might start getting a lot more cards that care about that stuff but for right now you know it's again just kind of file it away in the back of your mind and come back to it when you need it all right, next up is Ray, Easygoing Firefly. This is another five-cost inkable. It's a 3-3, three, three, the quest for three, and it has evasive. Does this uh, tilt the needle any way for you? Yeah, this one kind of hits all the boxes. You know, it, it's missing that fourth point of willpower that I would really like to see to survive things like Smash, although Smash is seeing a lot less play now with some of the new cards from Steel. So, you know, that third point might be good enough. Right. Um, this one being inkable, and the three points plus the evasive, definitely I have it, you know, in my mind prevalently and will definitely be making some decks. Do you think it's maybe better than Mad Hatter in that slot or maybe one of the the new five drops that people are talking more about, like the Bell Archer that we're going to get to? Yeah, so I think it's it's right in the mix with those two. Um, I think Cusco is still number one. And then, you know, then you start running into, OK, I want more of these. Do I want that fourth point of willpower? Do I want the evasive? Do I want the extra power level from Bell and give up the inkable? Um, but this card is absolutely in that conversation basically all the time. All right. Next up, Pete, bad guy. There's a five cost inkable three, four. Importantly, has that fourth point of willpower, but it also has ward quest for two and it has two different abilities. Take that. Whenever you play an action, this character gets plus two strength. Who's next? While this character has seven strength or more, quests for plus two, so quests for four. What do you think about Pete? This card is sweet. Um, I don't. I haven't found anything that really, you know, excels with it. But this card plus the four cost Mini Mouse in Ruby um, that has shift. I think there potentially could be a sweet 
action-based, you know, kind of combo deck. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it hasn't really panned out yet. And I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on as we get, you know, more chapters or as we find more synergies as we get deeper into the card pool. Do you think that this is uh, something that can work well with support to maybe put support on the map? I know that the uh, the five-cost queen that we talked about in Amber, being able to pump bad guy seems like a, a really nice way to meld amber and emerald together which you don't see that often yeah it is that is definitely a way you could do it that is a bit of a struggle just because while amber is known for having songs it's not especially known for having other actions especially cheap ones sure so it's going to be pretty hard to turn your pete on when you don't have specifically that queen sure um although maximus does it from the the large supporter from yeah. Amber, but you know, that's two five drops pairing together. So it might just be too much tension there right now. Um, I think Pete definitely fits really well in with Ruby because you get the additional payoffs plus some cheap actions. And then you all, it also pairs really well with Sapphire because Sapphire has multiple, you know, what we call cantrips uh, that are one cost actions, the draw card. And then you also have, you know, Alice that we'll get to later that gives all your stuff support to pump this. So that's definitely a more natural home, I think. Um, but, you know, like you pointed out, it works really well with Queen. And in the future, Amber might have some more of those cheap actions, too. All right. Uh, moving on, we have uh, the Uninkables at five and Emerald. Uh, first up, we're going to look at Lucifer, Cunning Cat. There's a five cost two, two, so a very small body. It quests for two and it has the ability Mouse Catcher. When you play this character, each opponent chooses and discards either two cards or or one action card. This is actually the first time I've seen this card so far. Uh, what do you think about Lucifer? I think this card would maybe maybe be too good at Inkable, and it's one of those cards that kind of got is a casualty of it being uninkable. I think this card is just going to be too hard pressed to fit into decks with its meager stats. You know, two two for a five drop is not great, and the the discard two is pretty strong, but then all the cases where they do have an action, you just, you know, get kind of hosed for your investment. Um, I, I think there's that. a lot of little things that could have made this card a lot stronger, but you know, it's, it's maybe making this card effect. stronger makes uh, everyone else miserable though. Right? Like if you turn the dial too much, like if mm -hmm. it was just a straight up five cost two, two, the major opponent discard two flat, I mean, maybe you start to get into the territory where you get to play that with You Have Forgotten Me, maybe some of the discard payoffs that they put in this set that we'll get to in a few. And it starts to look like, uh, you know, the ravenous rats or whatever, this chewing up your hand, it starts to look really, mm -hmm. really, really gross. But no, I agree. 2 2 body makes it probably not good enough. Uh, next up is uh, Bell Hidden Archer. This is one of the marquee cards in the set. When they first previewed it, everyone was going bananas over it. Uh, it's a five cost uninkable 3 3, the quest for three, so very similar to Kuzco. Uh, shifts for three, so you can play it on a, a smaller bell. And the ability Thorny Arrow says when this character is challenged, the challenging character's player discards all cards in their hand. Has anything changed since the initial uh, release of this card? Uh, not too much. It is, you know, still very much fighting Cusco for slots in the aggressive Emerald decks. It kind of is a bit worse than Cusco because, you know, guaranteed removing their pressure with the Cusco um, keeps them. It keeps you uh, more tempo positive where this is you know a lot of times a lot it threatens to be a bigger effect you know you might get two or three cards from your opponent but a lot of times you know the game plays out where they'll just play a lot of their hand and then challenge the bell lose maybe two cards and be ahead on the board where the Cusco is way better at managing the board yeah. while pressuring your opponent um i think you know it really depends on what the metagame looks like, and Cusco is definitely the favorite right now. Um, but Bell is always going to be that, you know, number 1.5 or 2 right behind Cusco. All right, next up, we're going to be moving on to the four drops. Uh, we have Pack Tactics, a four-cost actions inkable. It says gain one lore for each damage character an opponent has in play. This is a weird one. Yeah, this card's sweet. Uh, I think it is... Really not going to see a ton of play just because it like 
the matchups where it's going to be really good are like go wide matchups, right? But then mm. how are, if then we're going to be trying to get a bunch of da- like damage across a bunch of their characters, and the best way to do that is something like grab your sword or Tinkerbell Giant Fairy. But against the go wide decks, their cards are cheap. That's how they go wide. And then they're small, so they usually just die to those effects. Yeah. So then you can't actually draw the cards because they're not in play anymore. Um, this card, you know, where it would come up the most powerfully would be like a matchup where you both are playing to the board in large quantities with bigger characters. And you just get to, you know, assemble some damage on their characters and then play this for three or four cards, which would be great. But, you know, then you're just walking into if your opponent has Rapunzel and things like that. Um, yeah. I, I think this card's really cool. Uh, it's, you know, a emerald action that can gain lore, which doesn't exist until now. And uh, this is pretty sweet, but it is difficult to, to turn on. I would maybe like to see this in a deck that has a bunch of, like, one and two drops that when you quest with them, they're kind of throwaway, but they affect your opponent in uh, some really uh, important ways. Flynn Rider, two drop, for example, your opponent challenges it, they have to discard a card, and so it's basically putting one damage on their thing at the mm-hmm. at the price of two lore and a card from the opponent. That type of an effect over and over again might leave your opponent with something like you know two or three damage characters on them, and then all of a sudden pack tactics becomes burn you out at the end of the game maybe. But uh, it's it's hard to like leave characters on your opponent's side of the table and expect to be able to win the game. Uh, and ju- that's just the way the the cookie crumbles. So yeah, I think I think another thing holding this back, um, like you're talking about that that strategic plan, is that I think inherently already, not even with people having this play pattern on their radar, is that they're kind of all right. This is my character that's going to do most of my cha- challenging, and then these characters are my questers to race my opponent. There aren't really that many characters that are doing both all the time, especially in large quantities where you're going to be spreading damage on your own characters, you know, chip-shotting their thing and then questing with the other thing, it's really going to be like a Maui's a great example of just he does the challenging and then you have other things that do the questing. Mm-hmm. And once you've seen this card from your opponent, that's absolutely how you will be playing to mitigate that card in the first place. Yeah, agreed. Uh, all right, next up, uh, four-cost inkable, four-one, quest for two. This is Radigan. Uh, Radigan, Criminal Mastermind, uh, has Evasive. This thing seems pretty dicey. Yeah, I think it's it's going to ultimately not take up a large metagame share just because of that one point of willpower. It's just too easy to lose it for basically no value on your four-cost thing. Not to mention, like, four-cost inkable two-point quester Evasive is not something we're struggling for. Mm-hmm. Um, really in any deck, you know, there's several colors that have that, have access to that. And then, you know, you can just play the other ones that aren't as fragile. Um, there is maybe a world where that four point of strength is really necessary on the defensive and there's not much steel running around, but you know, as we've seen, steel is always going to be present. Yeah. I mean, cards are just good. Dealing two damage to everything, uh, and it's permanent damage. Pretty good. All right, next up, uh, Flynn Rider, his own biggest fan. Uh, There's a four-cost 2-3 that quests for four, kind of. Uh, it has Shift 2, uh, which is pretty sick, if you ask me. Uh, it also has Evasive, which is awesome. And uh, the ability, one last big score. And it says this character gets minus one lore for each card in your opponent's hand. So it only quests for four if your opponent is empty-handed but uh it's very cheap and it works really nicely with all of the discard synergies that we've seen so far yeah i think this card is an interesting payoff for those discard decks not to mention it has shift so you know you can kind of get in on a key turn where they are empty-handed where you can like play a discard spell or two and then shift this out to get the four points right away Mm. which is really cool because then your opponent's like drawing empty-handed and then they have to answer this thing that has evasive with basically the top card of their deck which is pretty interesting um the problem being that like the discard effects aren't totally there yet but you know it's pretty close you know it's definitely a good card to keep an eye on yeah uh it does combo really nicely with another card that we'll get to in a minute and i'll make sure to bring back up flynn Ryder, his own biggest fan when we do 
Uh, next up, we're going to be moving on to one of my favorite cards in the set. This is Donald Duck, the perfect gentleman. Four cost inkable, two five, the quest for two. It also has shift for three, and there's quite a few Donald Ducks around, and I know that there's going to be quite a few more because he's a fan favorite. And the ability, allow me, at the start of your turn, each player may draw a card. And so um, you get access to the card first, which is a huge deal. Uh, it has five willpower. And if your opponent uh, is dead with five cards in hand, it doesn't really matter what his ability does. But if you can translate your extra cards into lore generation at like a two for one basis, like one card equals two lore, then I think that you're just going to outpace your opponent quite easily. And the five whoop bar actually makes us pretty difficult to deal with. Yeah, it's it's funny. There's also a, another layer of synergy here for this card in those discard decks that we were talking about just previously, this is a way to keep your opponent with a card on your turn <laughs> sure. to get your, your payoffs for your discard effects. You know, on my turn, I ready with Donald Duck. My opponent draws a card when they had none left, and now I can still use a discard effect and get my benefit off of something that does benefit me for making my opponent discard a card. Yeah, I absolutely love this Donald Duck. Um, I, I think that uh, uh, I'm going to be playing it a bunch. Next up is Daisy Duck, Secret Agent. Uh, four cost inkable, two, three, quest for two, and has the ability Thwart. Whenever this character quests, each opponent chooses and discards a card. So kind of similar to the Donald Duck in terms of, uh, you know, spot on the curve, but fundamentally opposite in what it's trying to do. Yeah, I think this card is uh, pretty sweet. I think it's actually going to see a reasonable amount of play because it's inkable. And, you know, there are a lot of matchups where this type of effect is really strong, like against, uh, say, like a more mid-rangey Ruby deck that isn't really playing characters to the board but is mm. trying to dragon fire you. You know, you play this out on the play, you're going to get that quest in, and then it doesn't really matter because you're you're trying to play a longer game where you're draining mm. their resources. And if you ever get to quest with this a second time, it's, you know, very strong. It also has some game against some aggressive decks where if they don't have a three-point uh, strength character, they're going to have to, like, or sorry, a three-willpower character. They're going to have to trade off for this after it's quested. And getting that extra resource against a lot of these aggro decks is beneficial while you're also, you know, kind of racing them a bit. The stats might hold it back in the end, but... um you know, I'm pretty interested in this card overall. No, me too. Uh, I think the one thing that you do need to discuss with this card is pairing it with bodyguards. Like, obviously, the, the size of it's really weak, um, but we don't see too much Amber Emerald in general, and maybe there's enough cards, enough reason to play them together. And it doesn't have to be Amber, right? Even Steel has a couple bodyguards with, like, Hercules and the new Prince, and uh, those types of things could really make it difficult for your opponent to punch through and deal with this Daisy Duck secret agent before it quests twice. And questing once feels, like, pretty disheartening if you don't deal with it immediately, and questing a second time, like... I, I, you know, the game just starts to spiral out of control, uh, even if you're ignoring it completely um, and just like questing and doing your own thing. You know, this is going to strip away the last few cards you have. And outside of the like Steel Amber decks that play uh, Stitch Rockstar and uh, the Wheel 7, a uh, whole new world, uh, this thing seems like it's going to be pretty backbreaking. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, all right. Next, we have Arthur Trained Swordsman. Four cost. Inkable, 4-3, quest for 2, uh, no abilities. Yeah, limited limited all-star, potentially. Uh, not not going to see a ton of constructed play, though. No, I agree. Uh, next up, uh, Radigan's Marvelous Trap. This is a 3-cost item. With the ability Snap, Boom, Twang, Banish this item, each opponent loses 2 lore. So, in actuality, this is kind of like gaining life. We're, we're removing uh, some of our opponent's ability to win the game, um, but that's essentially just elongating the game. Uh, I don't really see this doing too much, but uh, it's certainly a cool ability. Yeah, I, I think this card has potential in the future when maybe we get like an item engine that lets you recur an item every turn. And then this is a, a good way to keep your opponent from being able to close the door on you because you know, a, a good strong engine that does a recursive thing is a really good way to win really long games. But one of the issues with, maybe not issues, but one of the things that happens in Larkana 
is that once your opponent as an aggressive deck gets to a high lore count, it can be really hard to stop them from being able to close the door. Right. And this is the type of thing that like, if you're recurring this marvelous trap, that's an easy way to put your opponent out of being able to close the game. completely. Yes. We've seen, you know, uh, Aladdin heroic outlaw come down, eat stuff, gain two lore, but also stealing two lore from the opponent. And it, it just feels like it's the game becomes unwinnable at some time, at some times. And if it, like you said, if they do make some things that do bring that back from your discard pile over and over again, I mean, how do you physically win the game other than disrupting the engine itself, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, next up, Ring the Bell, a three-cost action that is inkable, and it says a banish chosen damaged character. Uh, over, overall, I would say a, a fairly weak effect, but, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't exist yet, so this is kind of cool. Yeah, I, I think I, I could actually see a world where this sees some play, um, especially in, like, Rapunzel decks or, you know, things that really struggle to, like, Emerald doesn't have a way to really just remove a character, right? It's yeah. always been return your character to your hand. And then that is a tempo positive play, but it's not actually resource positive, where this actually can be resource positive. And especially if you're playing a bunch of cards like Rapunzel gifted with healing, you know, you kind of want to have these high willpower, low strength characters anyway. And then you can just send one in, put a damage on their character, you know, ring the bell on it and then set up your Rapunzel gifted with healing for later. That is a pretty strong recipe to me. And this card being inkable makes that easy to facilitate doing. All right, next up, we're going to talk about hypnotize. This is another action. This costs three and is inkable. It says each opponent chooses and discards a card, draw a card. So you discard one, I draw one. What do you think? If the discard deck is good, it will probably play some of these. Um, but you know, this is a really high rate for this type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, three, three ink is a lot to be spending to not impact the board whatsoever. And you know, that that's an easy way to fall very behind very quickly. So I would, this card could be a role player, but I would proceed with caution on this one. Yeah. I, I think one of the big, uh, strengths of you have forgotten me is that it takes two cards at once. And so you can kind of wait until your opponent gets down to two cards in hand before you strip them of them. And that often is the two most expensive and best cards in their deck or just in their draw. Uh, whereas hypnotize, you know, it kind of functions similarly in card economy where it's a two for one, but, I just don't think making your opponent discard one card is that relevant in most game scenarios, and especially so on turn three. Like your opponent just usually has a big uninkable or just an expensive thing that's going to get put in the inkwell next turn. And yes, you are getting that two for one advantage, but like you said, you're not interacting with the board. And if they're slightly aggressive or heavily aggressive, cards like Hypnotize are just going right into the inkwell, you know? Yeah. And one thing about You Have Forgotten Me is that. A lot of times it does end up being tempo positive in that, you know, I paid four resources on a pretty late turn in the game, you know, turn eight or nine. And I played something else that turn also. And then on your turn, when you go to your turn eight or nine, you're drawing a card. That card is very unlikely to cost seven, eight, nine. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're going to be playing something that's cheaper. So you're not using all those resources anyway. So you actually gained tempo where I, you know played like a five drop or whatever with my you have forgotten me and then you played whatever you drew which is probably going to cost five or less true uh next up uh this is another action but it's a song it's bibbity bobbity boo from old cinderella this is a three cost not inkable action song and it says uh, return chosen character of yours to your hand to play another character with the same cost or less for free uh, how do you see this card impacting? Are there any combos you've seen so far with people playing this? Nothing that really stands out to me so far. Um, the card has potential. Um, I think what it really runs into is all of the good when you play this effects on characters that are uh, maybe not aggressively costed, but competitively costed are usually uninkable like your genie on the jobs, Hades, infernal schemers, things like that are all uninkable. And those are the cards you really want to be using this with, you know, that they come into play and they have a 
a come into play effect that impacts the board. So you're swapping those out. The problem is you just run out of inkables, uninkables very quickly. And, you know, that's like the ultimate kind of deck building requirement for Lorcana is where do you hit that number? And I think that's really what's going to hold this back uh, long term. Where I, I I do think this card would probably be a little too good at inkable. So one um, one thing that kind of uh, intrigues me about it is that you know you you kind of think of this card in one way, but it really functions in another. Where the way that it feels like it works is I return my five drop damaged character to my hand, and that allows me to play something like Maui. Uh, you know, hero to all to come down and challenge my opponent's thing. But in actuality, what's going to end up happening more often than not, I think, is that you get to essentially blink the character that you're targeting with Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo. And, uh, it, you know, it might be this thing with a bunch of damage on it, but it also might just be something that has like a really cool interplay effect. Um, I like that it's a song, uh, and so it also works in Amber Emerald again with uh, the one-cost Cinderella that can sing three drops. And so um, if you don't have that many uninkables, this might actually fit into a deck that wants to draw a bunch of cards with, like, Carefree Surfer, for example, might be something that can pair nicely with this. But it's a lot to ask, But and it is one of those cards that's going to do absolutely nothing until it does something really cool. But, mm-hmm. Uh, next up is the Queen Disguise Peddler. This is a three-cost version of the Queen that is not inkable. It's a 2-3 with the ability a Perfect Disguise. Uh, it uh, exerts to choose and discard a card and uh, gain lore equal to the discarded character's lore. So this is the card we were talking about that works with the Flynn Rider, the quest for four. Uh, Flynn Rider, his own biggest fan. Uh, we got confirmation from the rules team, and they said that uh, discarding Flynn, his own biggest fan, at any point with the Queen Disguised Peddler does gain you four lore. So that's a nice little one-two punch. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a pretty strong combo. Um, I also think the most ideal way to be building decks with this card in mind is playing like the big characters, you know, like uh, uh, Mickey Mouse, Brave Little Taylor, for instance, that just has four points of lore. And, you know, you're not necessarily trying to play those characters. You're just trying to discard them to the queen. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think this card is probably going to be held back a little bit by the fact that it actually has no lore on its own. Yes. You know, I think giving this like one point of lore probably would have been super fine and still would have made sense, you know, thematically where like the also only considering cards... it's also uninkable, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the, I feel like this card, they were a little too scared of. And to be fair, as we get more cards, yeah, they might be, they might be reasonably scared for a good reason. Like they might've, they might've tweaked the numbers quite a bit and came up with this one, I think. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, but yeah, it, it is weird to have a card that has no lore that doesn't have reckless. We haven't had that before. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, you know, this is a card that I don't think is going to be like competitively there right now. But in the future, this is always a card that you can come back to and be like, oh, we got, you know, another five point lore quester. Like, is this card absurd now? And maybe it is. All right. Next up. This is Prince John, greediest of all, three costs, not inkable, uh, one, two, it's very, very small body, uh, quest for two, and has ward, so it's not going to get blasted by fire the cannons. Uh, the uh, ability is called I Sentence You. When, you. when your opponent discards one or more cards, you may draw a card for each card discarded so this is one of those payoffs we were talking about for discarding but it doesn't actually add anything to the board and so you're just doing more of the same thing where you're just accumulating raw resources in hand reducing your opponent's amount of raw resources but it's not a very big body so it doesn't quest very well it doesn't challenge at all and uh honestly i'm not not a a huge fan of this one yeah, I, I think this card's really sweet, and I think, you know, there might be enough of the stuff here to be doing the thing with Prince John, but, like, we've... Is that we've a technical term? A times here. Doing the thing? Yeah, yeah, that, that's the professional terminology, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, like, we could we can definitely do all the stuff. The problem is a lot of it is what I call tempo negative, where you're going to be falling behind on board, and that was pretty okay in Chapter 1 where, you know, there weren't all that many decks playing to the board, and you kind of saw that with Ruby Amethyst Control being good for a long time with Magic Mirror, was there weren't all that many good ways to impact the board that didn't just get cleaned up by Be Prepared. 
but now, you know, it's a different world. We have two sets out and it's a lot easier to play to the board and and do it effectively through a bunch of these cards. And, you know, in that kind of world, these tempo negative cards like Prince John and the discard spells are a lot worse. All right, next up, we're going to do two cards together. We're going to do Panic and Pain. Uh, These are two characters from uh, Hercules. Uh, Panic, Underworld Imp, is a three-cost, uninkable 2-3 that quests for two. The ability says, I can handle it. When you play this character, chosen character gets plus two strength. If the chosen character is named Pain, it gets plus four strength instead. Um, Pretty medium card overall not inkable is a huge downside but the pairing it with pain underworld imp this is a two cost inkable one four the quest for one and the ability says come in your most lugubriousness <laughs> while this character has five strength or more he gets plus two lore so together in tandem these actually might be pretty good what do you think yeah i think it's uh it's a really sweet combo um I think they made one of them uninkable just to make sure it wasn't just always present in all the green decks. Um, I think it is pretty sweet. I think Panic is kind of like a lateral move on uh, Meg that we've talked about a lot on previous episodes. You know, the the Emerald 2 drop from Chapter 1. Right. Um, We know that that ability is pretty good. And while this is uninkable, it is on a bit better of a body. You know, that second point of lore is huge. The extra two willpower is huge. Um, and, you know, if I don't think you can just shoehorn the two of these together into a deck and really want to be doing that. But, you know, if you have, like, the queen or a four-point support character to pair with your pain, that's pretty strong. You another know, you, another reason to play Amber and Emerald together. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I do... I am concerned just about how many of the the Emerald cards are like, yeah, these are sweet cards that interact really favorably with this absolutely busted Amber card. (laughs) Maybe we should just play a busted Amber deck. Yeah, that's Um, true. All right. But, you know, it is sweet. And this, you know, Pain is a way to turn your support cards into additional questing threat versus just challenge threat, um, which is unique and strong. Um, and you know, pain or panic, like we talked about, isn't that bad on rate. So, you know, I might actually be pretty intrigued about this in, you know, Emerald Amber with, you know, the queen and maybe Maximus or in, you know, Emerald Sapphire. Who knows? Sure. All right. Next up, we have Donald Duck Sleepwalker. Three costs. Oh, five. The quest for one. It's inkable. Uh, the ability is startled awake. When you play an action, this character gets plus two strength this turn. What do you think? Uh, I think this card's kind of bad. Um, Me too. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, that, yeah. Uh, it takes a lot to get it, going, and even when you get it going, it's not that good, so. Yeah, and it, it just has no defensive capability whatsoever. Like, mm. even if you, like, really go off and get to kill something really big, it's going to die on the backswing for free because it has zero strength. It also doesn't have any real lore threat to it right um yeah i I think this card's just kind of bad next up bell bookworm so this is a potential shift target for the five cost bell this is a three cost uninkable two four the quest for one and the ability use your imagination while an opponent has no cards in their hand this character gets plus two lore generation thoughts uh i do think it's weird that you know this is the second bell we have in the game that her ability is like if you're already winning the game, you win harder. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just more about if you're winning the game, you close more quickly. Yeah, I, I, I that is a good way to look at it, and also really how it does play. Um, this card is really sweet. I do think it is kind of annoying that the discard deck, like thematically, is kind of tempo negative, and then they gave like all the payoffs, the uninkables versus like the enablers. Yeah. Also, so, like, also, all of the payoffs are just not very strong, like on uh, strength and willpower. Yeah. So, you know, there's no way you can like challenge your opponent's stuff. There's no way that like you can quest and be unhindered in your questing. I don't know until until they show me some big reason to play all these discard effects. Uh, I'm I'm just gonna pass. I think. Yeah, I I think. The thing that really kills me is that like all the the enablers, the things that make your opponent discard, 
those are the inkable ones that like are the ones you can't really get rid of because you need to get you need to play those to turn on the uninkables so like some amount of the time you're going to be inking your enablers and then you're going to have to play your payoff because it was uninkable but you haven't enabled it because you inked all your enablers um i think this deck could pop off if we ever get like a steel card that's like whenever your opponent discards a card deal a damage to something um, that might be too good with Whole New World. You know, your opponent discards five cards, you spread five damage around and get seven cards in your hand. It's kind of ridiculous, but that's kind of what I think these decks need because you need to be able to impact the board while doing your thing. All right, next up, uh, we're moving to the two drops. This is Bounce, two-cost, uninkable action, not a song. It says, return a chosen character of yours to your hand to return another chosen character to their player's hand. So Bounce, my thing, Bounce your thing or bounce two of my things if you really want to. Uh, you did play this in one of our uh, versus matches. And uh, what do you think of it in general? I absolutely love this card and these types of effects. Uh, I think this card is ultimately going to be held back by it being uninkable. Same. Um, yeah, I, it just there's just too much tension for such a situational card where whenever I'm playing uninkables, they need to be like, insanely high impact like whole new world or grab your sword or a character where they don't really have like a fail rate where a card like this that's so situational i i can't rely on the situation even coming up for me to be forced to hold this in my hand where you know whenever it's an inkable and it's a situational card that's totally fine because then i can just ink it when it's bad next up uh queen of hearts quick tempered Two cost uninkable, one two, uh, quest for two, pretty good stats. Uh, when you play this character, deal one damage to chosen damaged opposing character with that royal rage. Uh, pretty interesting design. I mean, we've seen two cost characters that quest for two, and they're usually pretty weak on stats. This one has the ability to maybe finish off something that already challenged you once. Uh, I really wish it would just deal a damage to anything, but that doesn't seem like green's forte. Yeah, uh, yeah, Emerald. Emerald always, excuse me. Yeah, no, you're, you're good. Uh, I think Emerald, yeah, has that. It's it's weird because they only deal damage to things that are damaged, but they're not good at dealing that first point. Yes, that's the <laughs> um, big thing. Yeah, I I think this is unfortunately kind of you know I just mentioned that uninkable characters usually are a little bit safer, but even when they're situational because they can still be a character. But you know this card. It just it doesn't have the the umph behind it. Yeah. Um. I do think there are some metagames where this is a pretty strong card. Or if you know later on we get to add like sideboards to our decks, this card definitely can shine there. Where you know there are a lot of you know ruby cards that we're going to get to in that review that deal damage to your own stuff when you play the card. And this card is a really good way to like clean up that type of stuff. Um. To punish your opponent for doing that type of thing. But I think it's it's just too niche of a scenario to be playing this as an uninkable. Next, we have Gaston, Scheming Suitor, two-cost inkable, one-three, quest for one, with the ability, yes, I'm intimidating. While one or more opponents have no cards in their hand, this character gets plus three strength. Yeah, ju- yeah juice isn't worth the squeeze on this one. Um, two-cost one-three is, like, two one is like close. It's like close. But, yeah, uh, that ability. Uh, maybe is just if it like, was a two-three, they got plus two. But yeah, I, even in my discard decks, I don't think I would play this. Yeah. Uh, next up, Enchantress, Unexpected Judge. This is a two-cost inkable one-one. Small stats, quest for two, big deal. Uh, ability is true form. While being challenged, this character gets plus two strength. So while it's questing, it's like trading up for your opponent's larger characters. This one might actually be pretty good. Yeah, so I think this one is definitely going to be metagame dependent on, you know, if Steel is really popular, that might hold this back a little bit, just because it is inkable, so against a Steel deck, you can just ink it. But you you can't, like, always be planning to do that. Yeah. But if Steel exists in the metagame and isn't super popular, that's a totally fine plan. And then the next thing you're going to have to look for is, are there a bunch of things with four willpower getting played? Because those get to clean this up for free, where if there's a bunch of stuff that's three willpower and lower, I'm totally fine trading this. You know, I got my two points of lore and, you know, affected the board in a tempo positive way. This is a, a card that I'm 
whenever I'm playing aggressive Emerald decks, this is always going to be on my radar and usually making the cut for the deck. No, I agree. Uh, I think it's one of those cards because it's inkable. It actually is just always going to be great because if your opponent's playing steel, you just ink it. Play mm -hmm. something else. Uh, next up, we're moving on to a, another version of Cheshire Cat. This one's Cheshire Cat Always Grinning. Two cost inkable, three, two. So pretty large stats for a two drop and a quest for one. No abilities, though, but that is a shift target for the eight cost Cheshire Cat that we saw earlier. Uh, I think this one's solid. Don't know if it'll see much play, but maybe. Yeah, I think this this card's actually going to be pretty popular as like a two of in most Emerald decks just because... A lot of Emerald decks are pretty, you know, they're usually aggressively slanted, but you do have to win games on the draw in like a, an aggressive mirror match. And this is a really good card for breaking parity on a Simba Protective Cup. Yes. That, you know, Emerald struggles with normally. So this is a good way to have an answer to that in your deck that, you know, when those situations come up, you can play it. And outside of that... It's inkable and not just a complete dead draw in the later game. Next up is maybe one of my favorite Emerald cards in the game. This is Bucky Squeak Tutor, or Bucky Squirrel Squeak Tutor, excuse me. Two cost inkable, one one, very small. Uh, has a quest for one and it has ward, so your opponent has trouble targeting it. And has the ability Squeak. Whenever you play a Floodborne character, each opponent chooses and discards a card. If there were something to enable the, the discard stuff, Bucky is going to be it. Uh, and now it's just a question of how many good Floodborne characters can we play alongside Bucky? And then on top of that, how many things can we play that are payoffs for the discard effect like your opponent having no cards in hand? Thoughts on this one? I think this card is really sweet. Um, some of the best art in the set for me, for sure. <laughs> um, I think it it's just such a slap in the face that the Prince John that they gave us is like the ideal curve of like Bucky into Prince John and the Prince John is Dreamborn, not Floodborn. Yeah. I wish there were a bigger, bigger signifier on the cards to tell you that they were Dreamborn, Storeborn, Floodborn. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like it's not an afterthought, but at some point I think they will highlighted better so that you can see those synergies more clearly and uh, i'm hoping that bucky gets some help in the next few sets because uh, as a card i think this one's just scary if it were floodborne itself and the second copy of bucky on turn three started your opponent discarding cards it would be incredible uh but at this point i think you just got to figure out you know what are the best floodborne characters to pair with it and mm -hmm. uh do you have enough time in enough matchups but the fact that it's inkable means again if your opponent is hyper aggressive amber steel aggro or something very similar and eh, just ink it put in the ink well all right we're getting down to nitty-gritty the one drops we have two left this is uh improvise one cost action that is inkable and it says uh chosen character gets plus one strength this turn draw a card so it replaces itself yeah, I think this card is going to see a lot more play than it should. Uh, people love to <laughs> yeah. spend, you know, a resource to draw a card. Uh, it does have some upside with a card like Pete, bad guy, where, you know, this gets you three quarters of the way there for him getting the additional lore. So then you only need a static plus one from something or maybe like a one point supporter, something like that. Um, it is kind of annoying that it doesn't get you all the way there on the one action. So you still have to jump through another hoop. Um, but you know, I, I think it's going to see a lot of play. I don't think it's a fairly, like a very powerful card. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm hoping think, it just pairs with the mini mouse that procs with it. And uh, you know, there's a couple cards that'll trigger off of it and it cycles. So I, you know, I, I think it might have a spot just because it replaces itself and it. It's an action that, that draws a card. So we'll see them. Uh, lastly, the last card for today's video, we're going to be doing Flynn Rider, a confident vag vagabond. This is a one cost inkable one, three, the quest for one. Uh, we only have two others of these in the game so far, right? We have a uh, mini, mini mouse, um, and, uh, Olaf, Olaf. right? Yeah. Yep. So this kind of fits alongside that kind of vein where, you know, you might want to use it as an early quester. Uh, but when you start pairing it with things that can buff it like Megara or uh, I can't remember if it's Panic or Pain, but I think it's Panic. Uh, but you can use that to 
turn Flynn Rider into like a real threat. And with three willpower, it's usually going to survive against the opposing one or two cost characters. Yeah, I I, I think we may have uh, moved away from that kind of theory development mm-hmm. um, now, especially with uh, the new Queen one drop being out. They're just Amber is always going to be a popular presence in the metagame. The cards are just so strong and you need to have the counterplay on their one drops because all of their goons are good shift targets. Yes. So I think we're actually back to aggressive goon decks need theory. to be playing. Goon yeah. theory. Yes. Yep. You need to be able to actually proactively trade versus reactively trade. Yes. Um, you aren't necessarily the beatdown, even though your deck is the aggressive deck. Mm-hmm. Their card threatens the the board in the game more than your card. So you actually need to be threatening to remove theirs versus, you know, versus them needing to remove yours. All right. I feel that. All right. Uh, before we go, I want to say thank you to our sponsor, Games and Comics Paradise. Games and Comics Paradise is a store out of Fairfax, Virginia that specializes in trading card games like Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, uh, Magic the Gathering, and now Disney's Lorcana. So make sure to check out their website, gcparodice.com, for all of your TCG needs. We really appreciate them. Uh, for uh, Harlan... I'm Tandy, and uh, this has been our set review for Emerald from Chapter 2, Rise of the Floodborn and Disney's Lorcana. Uh, later this week, we will be continuing our exploration of the other colors, so make sure to uh, hit the like and subscribe button at the bottom of the uh, channel and uh, keep up with what we have coming out here in the near future. Uh, thank you so much, Harlan, for hanging out today, and uh, I guess we'll just say bye, Harlan. Bye, Harlan. <laughs>